Ackerman. I'm the student minister for the Southern Congregations. Um, before we start, why don't we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, please help us to see if we're coming to these communities uh, just going through the motions, just doing the things that we think that we're supposed to be doing, um, and turn our hearts towards you, towards the um, amazing grace of Jesus Christ, and help us to celebrate that today. Amen. I don't uh, know if you saw a few weeks ago this article about secular churches. Uh, it's this idea that people were looking for all the community and music and inspiring speeches that come along with a church service, but they didn't want Jesus to be a part of it. And for a while, these gatherings were actually kind of popular, but it came out recently that all over the world, these churches were closing down. They, they had all the form of church or the building blocks that make these meetings we have here look like they do, but none of the substance. Without the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to celebrate together, without the Spirit working in their hearts, without being able to praise the Father, it just fell apart. Form without substance. And in this section of Samuel, we see Saul's key issue is actually the same thing. He's all form, but no substance. He appears to do all the righteous things, but there's a fundamental problem with his heart. And, and so we see this steady digression of Saul's story as he just begins to unravel. We see here these three different scenarios where each time Saul shows a little more of what's in his heart. In Act 1, we get to see this great comparison of what it's like to have form without substance versus substance without form. Act 2, we see the true danger of what happens when you have form without substance. And then in Act 3, everything falls apart and you see the form decay because it has no substance to hold it together. So turn your Bibles to chapter 13 of 1 Samuel and follow along with me as we see this comparison between Saul, who makes an attempt at form with no substance, and his son Jonathan, who has substance but no form. Our story will start with Saul in this vicious land battle with the Philistines. Uh, and they've got chariots and horsemen and thousands of men. It says, like the sand on the seashore. There's so many. And Saul and the Israelites are backed into a corner against craggy rocks. And, and so the, the army begins to retreat into the caves and tombs dug into the foothills. Now, Saul's next move here seems kind of like the right thing to do. He lies in wait for God's representative, the prophet Samuel, to show up and make an offering to the Lord. And Samuel had told Saul to get to Gilgal and wait for seven days for him to show up and make the sacrifice to the Lord. It's in uh, chapter 10, verse 8. Go ahead of me to Gilgal. 
I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So Saul does this. He and his army wait, hiding in the cliffside for seven days, and Samuel, he doesn't show up. So what is Saul supposed to do in this situation? Samuel isn't there, but he wants to make the offering, still wants to present his best form, so he takes it on upon himself to do it. It seems on the surface to be kind of okay, right? He's doing in practice what seems like the right thing. He knows God has been faithful before and that you should make offerings to him. This seems like the best way to get what he needs. But underneath it all, we can see something deeper going on, can't we? There's form, but there's no substance. See, there's a certain degree of impatience that comes along with this act. We don't know exactly how late Samuel was, but the narrative is trying to make something clear. Have a look at verse 10 of chapter 13. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Just as. He's barely finished when Samuel turns up, which is to say that Samuel was on his way. But Saul didn't put enough trust in him, not enough trust in God, to wait that little bit of extra time. He shows up for all the time that's required, the bare minimum, and not a bit more. Because he cares more about what result he can gain from going through the motions of form than the true substance of trust that God wants him to have. It's form without substance. And then in comparison, we see in chapter 14 this story about Jonathan. And Jonathan's attack on the Philistines has no form to it at all. He doesn't wait on Samuel to turn up and do a sacrifice. He's just scrambling up the side of a hill with his armor bearer. And when it comes to making his decision to attack, he essentially picks a completely random set of circumstances to dictate what he's going to do. It looks like Jonathan is doing all the wrong things. His form is way off. But God hands over the Philistines to him in a glorious victory. Because it isn't about form for God It isn't about doing all the right things in the right order. It's about his heart, how much he trusts in the Lord. Have a look at verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few totally trusts that everything is in God's hand. His form may be way off base, but he's got the substance, a heart devoted to God. 
See, whereas Saul's actions are defined by his mistrust of Samuel, Jonathan trusts God fully, even if he's not doing the right things on the surface level. Jonathan's heart here highlights the problem with Saul's, and we see as the truth of Saul's problem is slowly revealed. And then we're taken into Act 2. The the Israelite armies have the upper hand because of what Jonathan has done, but Saul doesn't get it. He starts making threats, forcing people to make an oath. He puts a ban on eating until the end of the battle. An oath. He relies only on form again. But see the sheet being slowly lifted as Saul's heart is revealed underneath. He's doing whatever he can to get the result that he wants. It's all about form. There's no substance there. Chapter 14, verse 24, partway through, Saul says, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. Do you see how he phrases that? He he might be an oath-making king, but he only does it to avenge himself. It's not about God's victory at all. It's about Saul's. He's doing all of this for himself, not for God. These victories in battle, he's trying to grasp them using form, but he has no substance behind it. And here's the inherent danger with that. God's the only one who can bring the victory. But Saul's not relying on God, so it just blows up in his face. Jonathan is the one who breaks the oath, and so Saul becomes honor bound to kill him. See, here we have another comparison. Saul makes these rash vows and public declarations form, and it's a complete mess. But the people asked to break the oath and set Jonathan free, substance, and it saves his life. The people this time are highlighted to further frame the problem in Saul's heart. He's got no substance. He does whatever he thinks will secure his victory without a thought of what it actually means. And we see at the end of chapter 14 that Saul continues to root out the various Canaanite tribes, but it's all about to make a tragic turn for the worst. Because Saul's form, it will decay and fall apart because it has no substance to hold it together. There's something wrong with Saul's heart. Act 3, where the sheet is fully lifted and Saul is exposed for who he really is. The form just falls to pieces. Saul is sent on a mission, a mission from God, to wipe out a tribe called the Amalekites. What you need to understand here is that this isn't just an average battle for Saul. Saul had been tasked with the eradication of the Amalekites. Chapter 15, verse 3. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy 
all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. The ESV says, devote them to destruction. And this is a pretty harsh command, isn't it? But it isn't just a random request on the part of God. See, if we go back to Exodus chapter 17, we can read this story about the Israelites as they were lost in the wilderness, and the Amalekites took the opportunity to start killing the exhausted and displaced people of Israel. These people, they're evil. They've opposed God, and they've killed many people. So God makes a promise to Moses that justice will be done. Saul's not just going into battle with some foreign enemy. He's tasked with delivering God's justice to these people. He's tasked with being God's ambassador in this situation. And he knows this really well. Not only that, but in the book of Joshua, you may be familiar with the battle of Jericho. God asked Joshua to completely destroy Jericho. These are well-known stipulations of holy war. Saul knows these stories really well. He knows who the Amalekites are. He knows how this holy battle is supposed to work. Saul knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing here. Give every single thing over to God. Take no spoils of war. It's all banned, all devoted to destruction. But he doesn't do it. Have a look at verse 9. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle and fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. When it came down to it, Saul couldn't help himself. In order to appease his people, he directly disobeys God's command because he cares more about his own glory than he does about God's. Saul is so wrapped up in his popularity that what the people think of him, in what the people think of him, that he completely forgets who it is that made him king in the first place. God. See, when finally Saul's put under pressure to do something truly important in the name of God, this facade of form completely falls away. And his substanceless heart becomes exposed underneath. God says that he regrets giving Saul his place as king, which I wouldn't read to mean that God has made a mistake. But that he really does feel the grief of seeing Saul sin in this way. And when Samuel confronts him about this, Saul immediately starts to make excuses. See, when somebody has a heart for God and a true substance behind how they live, when they're challenged, they repent. But Saul saves face because face is all he has. He's all form. Verse 15. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. 
trying to protect his reputation for piety rather than actually trusting God. And, and Samuel, he's not having any of it. That isn't what God said at all. Devote everything to destruction. That was the command. And then Saul attempts to shift the blame onto others. Have a look at verse 21. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And his heart is revealed a little more there. You may have missed an important slip-up Saul makes here. He says, the Lord your God. To Saul, this is just Samuel's God, some, something that Samuel cares about. Because none of these things he's done, none of, it, uh, none of it was about just listening and being obedient to God. It was all just empty form. Saul cares more about offering and oaths than about simple humble obedience to his God. Form, but without any substance. And so Samuel lays it out. Verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. See, when we engage in religious form, when we do things that make ourselves feel pious only so that we can puff ourselves up, we're fooling ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, do we just love to hear God's word and simply obey it? Think about it. Here's an example. We're instructed in the Bible not to lie. Are you lying to anyone right now? Have you lied today? This week? I tell you what, no amount of church attendance or good Christian living is going to help with that. Form does not fix our lack of substance. Saul isn't worthy of kingship because he doesn't get it. He doesn't just simply trust God and obey, form without substance. And the thing is, if we try desperately to cling on to form with no substance to back it up, it'll just end up decaying. The form will fall away. It's not enough. That's what this story is trying to show us, that Saul and we require more than simply form to fix our fundamental problem with substancelessness. We don't just trust and obey God. See, I think we have a temptation to think about the Old Testament as a completely different set of theology to the New Testament. As if the Old Testament is all about law and tradition, form, but the New Testament, that's what shows us substance. But that isn't right at all. These stories, they're here to reveal God's plan throughout human history, and that plan has always been completely consistent. To fill our empty form with substance. 
Titus 2 verse 11 to 14 shows us the only place where we can get this substance, this desire to do what is right and obey God. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We can't do it on our own with our empty form. And the only place we can draw upon substance is Jesus Christ. And so we need to do something uncomfortable with that today. Instead of saving face and making excuses and blaming others to build up and protect our form, we need to open our hearts and admit that we're desperately in need of substance. That's what separates us from those secular churches. Admitting that we need something more because what we are isn't enough. We need to approach church with an eagerness to hear God's word and to do his will. Trust and obey. Because he's the only source of true substance. Our, our trying, our form will never be enough. And I think we're, we're too good as Christians at building up church services without substance. We love to get caught up in form with tradition and music and seating arrangements and morning teas. But it's all meaningless unless our main aim, our love, is listening to God's word and simply trusting and obeying it. So as we gather together, I want you to think about what your main focus is here today. Do you care more about form here or substance? Because if your heart and hope is set on form, I implore you today to do some business with God, to pray for his forgiveness and accept the true and beautiful substance that he offers in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we admit that sometimes we put our hope and trust on created things, um, on form, on tradition, on how people talk, on um, doing good. But help us to see that that is not enough, that we need Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and to change us from the inside out. Thank you. Amen.